Welcome to Off the Deck. I'm your host, Steve Carrera, and each episode I sit down with a member of the water polo community to speak with them about what helped make them successful in the world of water polo. In this episode, I sit down with Kirk Everest, the head men's water polo coach at the University of California. If you enjoy the episode, do me a favor, leave a five-star review or share it with your friends. And if you want to support the show, you can go to offthedeckpodcast.com and donate to the program. Thank you very much. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Off the Deck. Uh, I have the privilege of being on the phone with the head men's water polo coach at University of California, Berkeley, Kirk Everest. Uh, Coach, thank you so much for being on the program. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you very much. We've been trying to organize this for a while. I'm glad we we uh, finally got it going. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, I, I know how busy you are and, and how demanding it, it must be up there. So um, before I ask you the first question, I just wanted to give uh, the audience a little bit, uh, some highlights of your career um, as a player and as a coach. Uh, so you were at Miramonte High School um, uh, as a player and All-American, and then you went on to uh Cal and you won some national championships as a player. Um, and then you went on to the Olympic games. You were a two-time Olympian, uh, before you became the head coach at, at Cal. Uh, you started there in 2002. And in that time you've, uh, been fortunate enough to win three national championships, which is amazing. Uh, you've coached countless Olympians and all Americans. And you've done so much for USA Water Polo as a whole, coaching some World University Games teams and, and also just being sort of a, a servant to the sport. So uh, thank you for that. I, I wanted to ask you or start off with asking you, how did you get involved uh, in the sport of water polo? And then how did that evolve into coaching? Yeah, thank you. Um, my beginnings in the sport were kind of circuitous um you know i i was a i played tennis and baseball basketball growing up um those were kind of my main my main sports as a kid um and i lived in orinda um my parents moved there when i was in third grade and orinda is a interesting uh, community in that there's lots of swim and tennis clubs and country clubs in the area community pools and they have this very large uh swim team summer swim team uh uh concept and so rec swimming is huge in in that area so no matter what you do athletically back in those in the in in the 70s and 80s if you lived in orinda you were on a swim team in the summer and uh and so i swam i wasn't particularly good at it but um i did because when we moved there my mom basically made me (laughs) as a way to meet new people and uh and so when i got uh the summer before high school which is i didn't start until my freshman year high school which wasn't atypical back then there wasn't the large club system that there is now um and and people just kind of play different sports you went from season to season to season and changed you know changed your gear and went on to a different sport um and so summer before my senior my freshman year in high school uh i was trying to figure out what i was going to do in high school and i i was going to play basketball for sure uh and it was going to come down to i had to make a choice between tennis and and uh and bat and baseball and um 
And so I was kind of making that decision when a few of my friends came and explained to me that if I didn't do a fall sport and I wasn't going to play football, um, that I had to do PE. And um, I'm like, really? What? How, how's that work? Uh, you know, I'm going to be playing basketball and doing these other things. And yeah. So I, I looked that up and I was like, oh my gosh, I have to do PE. And uh, and so I was like, well, I guess I'll play water polo. Um, so I could get out of that concept and play on a team. So that's how I kind of got started in it. Um, randomly deciding to do it. Uh, and then after my first year, I kind of liked it. It was a mix of basketball. It was physical. I liked that. Um, like I said, I wasn't the, the, uh, the greatest swimmer in the world at that point. And, and, uh, and my first coach, uh, JV coach or freshman coach at Miramani said, you know, you, you could be pretty decent at this sport if you'd ever learn how to swim. And uh, so I kind of took that to heart and made the decision for the spring. I played basketball. And then for the spring, uh, I made a decision that I would go out for and swim on the swim team to try to get a little bit better for water polo. Uh, and I could play tennis on my own. You didn't need to be you didn't need to be on a high school tennis team to play high level tennis um, in Northern California. You could play the satellite circuit and, you know, play tournaments on your own. Um, and so I, I made that decision, quit baseball, played tennis and swam on the swim team just to try to get a little bit better um, uh, for, for water polo season. And slowly but surely I figured out how to swim. Yeah. And you know, you're, you're obviously, I want to tell the audience that you're you're being very humble about your experience in high school because I mean you were all American so you picked it up pretty quick in terms of you know you're obviously an athletic person playing basketball and I have something a specific question about that in the sense that do you think um the decision making in basketball helped your decision making in the in water polo I mean it seems like decisions on the basketball court are so much faster than in the water. It must've been like the matrix when you got in the water polo where everything was just, you saw everything so much slower than everybody else. Yeah. I think in general, um, when I look back at it, I'm a big proponent of, you know, of, of athletes and, and kids playing different sports and trying things out. Um, I think specialization is great, but there is a, uh, uh, other side of that coin and, um, and so, uh, I think there's things that you're going to take from every sport. And when I kind of look back on myself, um, I think there's stuff that I took from every sport that I, that I grew up playing. Um, you're, you know, yes, the decisions in basketball, the flow of the game is similar. Um, spacing is very similar. So, you know, growing up playing basketball, you, a coach didn't need to explain to me spacing and, yeah. and moving without the ball um, and passing lane defense and, you know, and and always finding the ball and moving to different spaces. And if I'm too close to my teammate and I'm not setting a pick, then I'm in the wrong spot. Yeah. Um, moving to different spots as they move and seeing seeing what they're doing and and finding you know, different open water, taking the water, taking the space, um, you know, uh, give and go concepts, all those kind of things were, were easy to pick up because, um, because of basketball, um, you know, baseball, hand-eye coordination, you know, you didn't need to really teach me how to throw a ball, although it's a tiny bit different, but it's not significantly different. So you, 
you had that. Um, and I, and I always looked at tennis, definitely hands. Um, hands are so important in tennis, quick hands. Um, but angles and shooting, uh, when I look back, I go, I think I learned how to shoot, um, or at least have a plan. And, you know, the difference between throwing and shooting, we can get into that, but, um, uh, using your opponent's momentum against them. Tennis is very, uh, has a lot of that where you're kind of hiding where you're going to hit the ball mm-hmm. till the last second mm-hmm. using your wrist or using, using your hips or something to get the ball to go the other way, trying to get your opponent to go one way. And then you're bringing the ball back the other way. Yeah. Um, you know, using the lob, using, you know, one shot to set up another shot. Uh, all those kind of things I think led into, to parts of water polo that I could take from, you know, I'd been playing tennis since I was a kid. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think all of those things will, if you played soccer, if you played, you know, la- lacrosse or, or something rugby, there's going to be something in those sports. I might not know about it because I never played them, but that you would take into the sport of water polo. So yeah, that, that's um, such I think a, that was instrumental. That's such an interesting perspective on the tennis front, because when I really think about it, I mean, I'm a passive tennis fan. I mean, I, I watch high-level tennis when it's on TV and, and that kind of thing. But when you really sort of start applying the angle thing to water polo, I mean, it, it really seems like it applies just training without even knowing your training. I mean, knowing that where the guy's going to be, like, you know, passing it to a spot instead of passing it to the person. Huh? Um, I could definitely see that translation. So you graduate from Miramonte, you end up at Cal, um, you know, and you have a phenomenal career at Cal. I mean, you were the player of the year in 1988. Um, you won NC2A championships. Um, and you also had two, you were kind of bookmarked by two of the greatest coaches who ever lived, if, if I could say that. Um, so did Pete Catino recruit you and then Steve Heaston took over? in the middle of your um actually i was on pete's i was on pete's last team so uh pete retired in 80 after the 88 season which was my last year so we we um fondly say we we finally broke him and uh and so he he retired my last season and steve took over in 89 or for the 89 season and i was a graduate you know student coach with with Steve on his first team. So there. what, what so, could you tell me about Pete Catino and all of these stories that you hear, <laughs> the legends that you hear? I mean, you're, you're playing and uh, for him. And I mean, you had, you just have basically four years of experience. And I had spoken to um, Gavin Arroyo and, and he had told me that the recruiting classes at Cal were just huge um, when he got in. And and I'm wondering if it's the same as you came in as a freshman. Were there a, a lot of people coming in with you? Yeah, we had a, a you know back then there were there were tons of, of of people that came in to try to play, and um, and we had A's and B and C teams, and there weren't as many you know there were definitely weren't the restrictions um, NC2A wise as there are now. Uh, there was more pool time too. Um, you know, you didn't have as big a women's swimming program or there was not a women's water polo program other than club. And, um, and so they had access, you know, to the, to the pool, um, a lot. And we had PE classes that we taught. So it's a lot of times the, you know, the C team would be 
uh, in a PE class that, that, you know, players would coach or Pete gotcha. would coach and Pete, Pete was the main professor of the class, but you know, the players would coach the, the teams and have, you know, weekly three or four days. And then we'd enter them in a tournament at the end of the summer or end of the spring, you know, as kind of a final exam to kind of see how people did, um, whether it was beginner or intermediate or, um, you know, then you'd have kind of advanced PE classes too, that were actual guys that were, you know, trying to work their way up onto the, to the main team, to the A team. Yeah. Um, so it was a different environment. Um, uh, yeah, Pete was, uh, was, was a larger than life character. Um, incredible coach, incredible person. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, he, and he, he kind of knew how to get under most people's skin and motivate them. And, <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I look back onto my recruiting experience and I think he, he'd figured me out pretty quickly. And, you know, I, I'd gone on different trips to different places and, um, and I went into Pete's office and, and Pete had this big wooden desk and this kind of a Home Depot prefab shack was his office that overlooked the pool, sliding glass door. Um, they had this big wooden desk that had chip marks out of the desk all over the place. And he was always playing with a knife. He collected like oh, switchblades. <laughs> that's a, that's a so, little intimidating. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. So you have a six, five, you know, bald Sicilian um, sitting in on the other side of a desk, either cleaning his fingernails with the, with the switchblade, <laughs> or occasionally he'd just sit there and talk to you and he'd just stick the knife in the table oh, wow. as you're having this conversation. And and he, you know, well, I sat down and, and the first thing he said to me was pretty much the only thing he said to me really was, you know, we'd like you to come here. Um, and we have a spot for you, but I just want to make sure you know that I'm not sure if you'll ever play for me. Oh, wow. And I kind of took that in. I was waiting for the butt and, and that was kind of it. I'm like, okay, thank you, coach. And and uh and i walked out and went home later that night my parents are talking to me about how that went and and i'd been to other places and was told you know how great i was going to be and how they were gonna you know they were gonna win this or that and this is gonna be your you know this is your number and this is you know, you're gonna start and, and and my parents said well what do you think about that and i said well i i'm having i'm having trouble getting around you know, getting my head around the concept of if I can start for them and I, and this guy's not sure if I can even play for him, how are they going to beat him? Um, and, and I was, and I said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to prove him wrong. Uh, I'll show him I'm going to play for him. And, you know, before the end of the night, I had committed to going to Cal. Wow. Um, when I looked back on it, he was manipulating me already. Um, and, uh, he kind of knew what would get me going and, uh, and challenging me a little bit as to whether or not I could do it, um, was something that was going to make me go, I'll, I'll show you. Um, uh, and, uh, and so that was kind of the beginning of our player coach relationship. And so you guys, you guys went back to back in 87, 88. Is that, that, is that correct? Correct. Okay. And so. Uh -huh. You were, I mean, you were an All-American 86 to 88. So, yeah. I mean, you were a three-time All-American. That's And then in, in, in your senior year, you were a player of the year. So, I mean, 
what could you tell us, you know, briefly, if you if you could, about what was the culture, you know, a, around those championship teams, and if there was anything that you remember from that time that you carried over into what you're doing today and how you coach today. I mean, um, I know it's it seems kind of like a typical thing. I mean, everybody's competitive and those kinds of things, but there's always these individual quirks that teams have, uh, championship teams have that, you know, you'll never forget. Um, and I'm wondering if you could share that uh, with us a little bit. You know, I think it's the, it's kind of the progression and the journey of it. I think we've forged our, our championship mentality or culture over the, the years that we didn't, you know, we didn't win. I, when I got there in freshman year in 1985, you know, we started the fresh off. They had, they had won the championship in 1984, um, I believe 83 as well. And, and so we came in with a, with a team that was pretty young, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of guys had graduated the year before. Alan Gresham was on the '84 team, and um, and uh, Pete Jr. was on that team, I believe. And uh, and so, a really good class left, um, and we had a a group of of you know young guys that were talented older guys that were now being asked to take on different roles. Um, and we kind of went in a wave of, uh, you know, at one point we were number one in the country a lot by reputation, I think. Yeah. Um, and then we hit, we hit a few bumps with injuries and sicknesses and beyond. got mono and, um, a couple guys got hurt for portions of the season and we ended up losing, eight or nine games in a row wow. um, and got down to the point where we had to, you know, we had to beat Stanford in the big splash. We thought in order to get a bid into the NCAA tournament, we lost in overtime. Uh, Stanford ended up winning the championship and, um, uh, and we didn't get, we didn't get an invitation. So, you know, that was the, kind of come to come to Jesus moment as you kind of walked around over holiday break going, you know, I came here to do something and now we didn't even get invited. Um, you know, how do we, how do we change that kind of thing? Um, and then in 1986, you know, we kind of ran into the buzzsaw of, of, uh, of Stanford's probably one of it. I would assume one of Stanford's best teams ever, if not the best team ever that they've had um, with Craig class and Eric Fisher, Greg Gamble, Dave and Bernino. Um, and they went undefeated that year. Uh, and I, I believe if memory uh, is correct, that we lost to them seven times that year um, in different tournaments. You know, we, uh, we had the NorCal, the SoCal, we had our two games in conference because we would play home and away um we had a couple other events that that we did maybe it was six times um but it started off really ugly like you know we were losing by seven or eight goals and then we we finally got it down to in the nc2a championship game uh, you know we were tied at half but it still ended up losing by three or four yeah. um and so we beat everybody else um but we we didn't uh you know we were we were 
we couldn't figure out how to beat them and uh, they were just better than we were. Um, but that kind of, again, that was humbling, uh, in a different way, the, the year after, um, and just kind of, you know, can remember kind of sitting guys down at Belmont Plaza after it as a, you know, coming out of my sophomore year, I've got some friends that, you know, said they could, they remember me just, you know, the guys were sitting in the stands just dejected and, you know, we still thought we could pull it off, you know, even after taking it. Um, that many times during the year that we thought we could win that one game, you know, yeah. one day, one game, we could do it. Um, and, uh, and just kind of grabbing everybody and going, this is not, you know, this is not going to happen again. We're going to figure out a way to, to get over the hump and, and, and win a championship. And, um, and so I think that's kind of how, where it got forged um, in the, uh, you know, in us and, and made us a tougher team, uh, made everybody tougher and a little bit more humble and, and uh willing to sacrifice a little bit more to 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 you know pick up a trophy yeah absolutely and so your first championship um and i i remember going to these belmont plaza games in the 90s it was a little bit before before your time but it's it's crazy when you look up at the history how many games were how many championships were played at belmont plaza in a row it was like every year it was just belmont plaza um yeah, that's where that's the there was that was the host, and so that was it was kind of the pilgrimage down Thanksgiving weekend um, Sunday night was NC two A. The place was crazy. Um, I still think it was it was the best environment that that we possibly could have had. Yeah, no, and we actually my uh, senior year, not my senior year, um, uh, my last year at Northwood High School. I remember actually t- you don't remember this, but I remember you coming up and wishing me good luck before the final game. And that was the last championship game at Belmont Plaza 2006, um, us versus El Toro. And then they, they shut it down after that. So we played that last yeah. championship game there. But um, Yeah, the CIFs were great there too. Oh, they so. were. They were. So uh, I'm going to go back to um, some of this uh, stuff. Uh, but I wanted to ask you also, you know, having seen water polo from so many different perspectives now um, – you know, as a player, collegiate, high school, national team, Olympics, I mean, the whole deal. Uh, what's your what's your state uh, feeling about the overall state of water polo right now? Um, what are the positives? What are some of the things that we could do better? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I, I for the United States specific, you know, I like to see the the growth in certain areas, you know, Texas getting a, a, a high school championship or, or being, you know, recognized in, in certain divisions as a, as a high school state championship, I think is a big step. Um, you're seeing it grow in different states through, through the high school system or ODP and, and you're seeing kids come from different places. I think that's exciting. Um, there are athletes all over this country it's 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 um it's great to see you know kids playing it all over the place um so i think that's really exciting it's growing um in different areas um there's so many club teams and uh and different opportunities for kids to play um and then the funnel gets super uh tight when it gets to college because there's just not that many programs yeah um there are a lot of club club programs that are offered so um, that's that's great that kids have an opportunity to play past high school, um, but it gets that that gets tough, um, you know, and it's hard to to add sports, especially at the Division One level. Um, so we have that challenge. Uh, although we've had a couple uh, schools uh, 
add the sport at that level, but it's just hard, um, you know, to get a University of Oregon or University of Texas or somebody like that to add a, a men's sport uh, is, is hard. And, um, and so the growth is at the division three level and, um, and that's, um, and now they have a championship that's sponsored by us water polo, which is fantastic. And the environment at that first, um, event this year seemed like it was, it was great. Um, and an experience that those kids will, will never forget. And, um, and so I think that's really exciting. Um, you know, and worldwide, it's a small sport. We're all, we're all running into the same thing. It's not, you know, the, the money's not there. Um, for a lot of this is not unique to water polo it's just it's not it's not there for most of the secondary you know olympic quote-unquote olympic sports um and so playing professionally is a labor of love it's not you know you're not gonna very few people are gonna make a living out of it um and so that becomes a challenge to keep people playing um that that's the frustrating thing for me is just to see kids kind of you know uh, tap out at whatever level they 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 don't have an opportunity to play college um they get out of college and they they don't take an opportunity to play a little bit longer um um so i think that's that that's the one thing that's that's that always kind of you know disappoints me that there's not the opportunities um to play a little bit longer when you can yeah i mean you look at you made a great point about the club circuit i mean you look at some the club water polo circuit and you know in college and it's like every major university has a club water polo team and it, it i mean when the rankings come out through the CWPA it just looks amazing i mean you see you know university of florida oregon oregon state arizona i mean you see all the texas um you see all the universities that everyone wished had water polo and you 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 think about how how diverse and how amazing an NC2A tournament would be if all those teams, all those schools had, but it's, it's like, like you said, it's just such a challenge to add sports. Um, and I mean, yep. I, I, I've been involved with programs starting water polo from the beginning multiple times. And it's, you know, and this is like at the high school and community college level, it's, it's really, really difficult. So, um, and how about like the, you know, the, the the collegiate game is seems like it's expanding a little bit but there's always that debate of you know the nc2a tournament and i'd love to get your take on this you know i I know you've been on the the wrong side of the nc2a tournament and you've been on the right side of it uh, in terms of being selected to go in things are starting to expand a little bit more um you know, there's always that talk about like, why is this team in when this team would have beat them by this much? What do you think about that? Like, you know, you get a a team on the East coast, you know, I played at Queens college, you know, you get a team from the East coast that makes it in, you know, and and a, and a cow gets left out, you know, um, what are your thoughts about that? What do you guys talk about as a team when, when things like that happen? Yeah, it's always hard. The system is, you know, the, the system is the system and you know it going in. So um, is it the, is it the best, you know, eight teams with, you know, how they do it now with the playing games and, and, you know, kind of regionals uh, concept. And, yeah. uh, no, it's not. Um, 
but that's the way the system works and we got to kind of deal with the parameters. It's, it's, you know, it can be frustrating and it usually is, you know, the most frustrating when it comes down to, you know, one or two teams and, but, but that's life, you know, um, making, you know, the Olympic team, if there's 13 guys now, 12, whatever it is, um, it's not always the best 13 water polo players. Yeah. Um, in fact, it's usually not. Yeah. Uh, there's position concepts. There's, you know, how you fit in with the team. It's there's personality conflicts. There's there's all sorts of things that go into it. You know the game, and 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 you got to work it a little bit and try to put, position yourself and and just play and and it and it comes out. And for the most part, you know, the committees just like in any sport, basketball, they're they're trying to get to do what's right. Um, and there's always going to be a little bit of controversy. You know, this year was you know, probably UCLA and, and, uh, and UOP and, and, and who gets in. Um, and, and that's, uh, you know, and, and those are things that, that, uh, that kind of, you know, get worked out in a room and you don't want to end up putting your entire season in the hands of eight people sitting around a, you know, uh, uh, an oval table, um, or on a conference call. Um, but that's kind of what happened this year. And so there are some years that it gets more complicated than others. This was a definitely a, a more complicated year um, than most. Um, but, you know, at some point teams had their, their, you know, their seasons in their own hands um, and you win or you lose a game. And that can be the, the difference. That's the hardest part is that our, you know, that, when you're dealing with at large bids, your, your, you know, early season losses can kill you. Um, and so can late season losses. And, and so, like you said, we've all been on the, on the good side and the bad side of it. Um, it's super frustrating and, and, uh, you know, you can, you can pound the table and, um, but I don't know how productive that is. Yeah. And, and you just kind of go back to the drawing board and go at it again the next year. But, um, uh, and you can look back to times when you had control of your, uh, of your destiny. And, you know, um, we had about as rocky a season as we've had. And at the end of the year, we had, you know, we had one game against Stanford and if we win it, we go. So we were, it's so funny that we had our own destiny. Yeah, no. And and it's funny that you brought that up because that's exactly where I was going. I wanted to work from this year and go backwards, you know, um, you know, record wise, it was, you know, the worst season you had as a coach. Is that fair to say record wise? Um, but yeah. yeah, yeah, but coaching wise, and I'm, I'm totally just saying this out, you know, without verifying it with you, it seems like you did some of your, some of your better coaching um, throughout this season. I mean, if you just look at your, your season, yes, you had some tough losses, but you, I mean, you had your team playing good water polo at the right time and you were literally you know one game away from shocking the world and getting into the nc2a championship um how does that was there something this year that you know kind of kept you motivated and and really sort of because we all have those tough years i mean it's just impossible you know you look at your resume and i mean you've only lost double digit games twice in your entire career um as as a coach at at Cal that's unbelievable um and so 
there has to be something that you're pulling out of your bag of tricks this year or, you know, your third year. I think you lost 10 games that keeps those guys going. Is is there anything you could tell coaches listening that when you're having a rough year, what what are you doing? What are you telling them? Um, what are you telling your leaders uh, if you remember any of it? Yeah, I think I mean, I, I think the biggest thing I would give the credit to the to the athletes because the the most impressive thing for me about this team this year was that they they stayed with it day to day yeah um and and there's always times you know as a coach it you know i gotta convince i gotta get myself every day to show up and and you know work as hard as I can and motivate them and inspire them and get them going and, um, and try to read the room and, and see where people are and, and try new things. And, and, uh, and, but the work has to be done. And if they, if they don't, if they check out at any point during the season, um, as a group, then, um, then you're not going to be physically ready to, make a run at the end. Um, and, and this was a group that just, they worked hard, you know, and that, that wasn't translating into wins. Um, but they battled every game, no matter what happened. Um, you know, down by five, they would, you know, they'd make a run. Um, they just never gave up on themselves, um, as a group. And that was their, that was their biggest, you know, uh, um, trait, uh, that, that kept them going. And so that, that was, you know, you could see that when you watch them playing games that they, they fought, they played hard. They Mm -hmm. did, they play well, no, sometimes, but they were always playing hard. Um, and they were fighting for each other and for, you know, the game and their team and their coaches, they were, they were working. Um, it wasn't, paying off and your worry as a coach is that when it's not paying off that they decide well it's just not worth it um and if they're cutting corners monday through friday then you're not gonna you're you're gonna start to see the results get even worse yeah um and uh and this was a group that just didn't do that um i don't know if it's anything that the coaching staff did other than you know continually talking to them about you know, getting better and, and, and just trying to, you know, I kind of dumb things down in my head. I have for years in that, you know, what's my goal for the season. And you can, you know, you can, you can come up with a million different things, but my goal every year is pretty simple. And I want to coach, I want to walk away from the season saying I coached a good waterfall game. Yeah. And I feel like I'll have the talent, um, most of the time that if I've coached it, if this team is good, that's a good water polo team, then I got a chance to win. Um, but I've got to get to the point where we are a good team. And, and I felt like at the end of the year, that was a good team. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was, it was, and there were a lot of things that went into that. You know, you're playing seven freshmen. Um, so by the end of the year, they weren't freshmen. Um uh, but they were still inconsistent and getting all seven of them to play well on the same day was, was, is, you know, naive, um, at best. Um, and, but they, they all, 
were battling and, and fighting and they had great energy in practice and they were, you know, young and, and kind of dumb at, at, and they're not, and they led from the bottom as well. Um, and the older guys were great at not, you know, it's, it's easy for a senior to just go to my senior year and we're not getting there and I'm going to, I'm going to bow out. Yeah. And if they do that, then the younger guys kind of can follow or they can pull it away. And the great thing about this group was that they all kind of came together and just, said let's go and so the young guys didn't have to pull the older guys out of their slumber or or their pity party and the old guys didn't have to work questioning the the intensity or the dedication of the young guys either so it it allowed them to get to a point where you know they they put the season in their own hands and you know if you can at the beginning of a year if you can tell me you know you're gonna have one game at the end of the year and if you win you go to nc2a's or you can roll the dice and see what happens. I, I'm I'm fine with that. Yeah, Let's I go. mean, if you um, have to win one game, and... you know, it's 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 kind of amazing actually because I I remember watching you in the summer coaching your team in the summertime. Um, I I was for they asked me to coach the Olympic Club for like the outdoor nationals or whatever. Um, and I was yeah. it was really cool to to have that experience. But I like kind of you know just out of sitting behind your bench and just sort of watching it's like it seemed like you were doing so much just teaching of the game and 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 trying to get you know you seemed very patient like almost like you knew okay this is going to be a year where I'm going to be really teaching these guys the game at the collegiate level um and I I think what's interesting or kind of funny about coaching is that I think the the naysayers the outsiders looking in they always think, well, God, you know, he has so much talent. He should just be winning every game every year. You should just have like 20 national championships. And I think a lot of people don't realize how hard it is to put yourself in a position to win. Um, and so like getting to that final of the MPSF, that, and I think that's why I referred to it as like some of your better coaching, because I don't think anybody would have guessed that that was where you were going to end up at the end of the year. Um and you've had teams where, you know, you were the the best. And I think if you've coached long enough, you've won games you're not supposed to win and you've lost games you're not supposed to lose. I mean, I think that's pretty accurate across the board for any sport. Um, but, you know, I, I'm going to go back back in time a little bit to um, 2006, 2007 and you know, I was sitting poolside, I, I believe it was 2006, um, Loyola Marymount. Um, and yeah. I want to say that was your first national championship that you won as a coach. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm going to sort of set the stage here and, and you have to tell me what you were feeling. I mean, you guys are playing USC um, and USC was, you know, obviously had become a, a power, you know, with with you guys UCLA and uh, they always have been but it really they were kind of going on a they were trying to get into that run um, and it's kind of going back and forth this is John Mann's senior year Jeff Tyrell's senior year who's now your assistant coach um, and it's sort of like a miracle half court shot that gets tipped in it was shot by Jeff um, and I just remember because I was sitting like literally poolside I just remember you coming in out of nowhere um, and jump in and jump in in the pool before anybody even knew what was going on. Um, you know, what was that like? I mean, what was that, 
Could you remember that? Well, yeah. Let's let's first be. Yeah, let's let's first. Uh, I got a red card. Yeah, I didn't want to say it. I was going to let mid, you say it. <laughs> midway through the fourth quarter, so out of nowhere was I wasn't near the bench. Yeah, put it that way. Yeah, um, I was over. My personal seatbelt was Jerry Schroeder. They let me. They let me sit on the. They let me stand on the side of the pool. And, yeah. Uh, Terry Terry took responsibility for making sure I didn't do anything. Um, um, so uh, that flashback to Olympic team days. Yeah. So he was <laughs> he was uh, standing between me and any and and being dumb. Um, and uh, yeah, Jeff was actually a junior, so he redshirted. Oh, he was okay. in that first recruiting class with with John, but Jeff redshirted as a freshman. Um, and. Uh, uh, yeah, I got a red card when John got his third foul in the fourth quarter, I think, the uh, early in the fourth. And so Boyd, Boyd Lachance was, took the, took the wheel and, um, uh, we kind of blew a, a pretty big lead or, or SC kept, you know, kept, uh, kept picking away. They were championship team and, um, and, uh, and we, you know, they, they scored, um, Thomas Hale, I think, scored a goal with, you know, well, 1.6 seconds left in the game um, uh, to tie the game. And we'd been ahead the whole game. We were up by three or four. Um, they went on a run uh, in the fourth quarter to uh, to get back to tied right at the right at the end of the game. And um, you know, Boyd called a timeout and and. Uh, and kind of modified a, a a play that we would do in the middle, like closer to the mouth of the goal, and was going to run it from about 11 meters out because um, we didn't have enough time to throw it that far and have anything happen. So um, he just kind of modified it. It was you know, basically just a a lot of picking and, and trying to get get somebody's arm free. And uh, and uh, and Jeff got a shot off, and it was it was tipped in. Uh, you know, deflected by one of the players. Now, yeah. you know, Jeff, Jeff throws the ball really hard. Um, and, uh, and so that was kind of the concept of that is getting him, getting his hand on it and getting, getting the ball off. And, you know, hopefully when you get it close to the, the mouth of the goal, something, you know, something good might happen um, or really bad, depending on which side of the fence you're on. Yeah. And, um, um, you know, but he, he got that thing off and, uh, and it was, it was, it was tipped in, uh, deflected in the mouth of the goal as, you know, Mike Scharf was in front of the goal and, and there were three or four guys just kind of raising havoc in front of the cage, trying to, trying to get a hand on it or deflect it or something. And, um, ended up an SC guy deflected it, uh, uh, and, uh, and it went in. Um, and I was on the side, uh, over by coach Lockerin's office and, um, yeah, it was the uh, I'm going to be in the water before the officials can decide this. Yeah, one. That, that's one what it felt goal. like. So I figured that's exactly it was what it the felt assumptive like. sale. Like I'm I'm in. Let's get get dressed, get on the bus, and get out of here. Yeah, no. It, it reminded <laughs> me of like the Derek Fisher .04, you know, like just throwing it up there, and he makes it, and they just runs out of the tunnel uh, against the Spurs, the Lakers. Exactly. And it's yep. it, it was it was kind of unbelievable um, because. I mean, it's still, I mean, like I said, if anybody's listening, like you could YouTube it and you could watch, watch it. it. It's, it's kind of an unbelievable teaching moment as a coach, because there's this, do you bring people back to deflect it? Do you don't, do you not, do you just go out and, and press and, and obviously they, you know, 
there's a little bit of luck involved, but I mean, it wasn't like uh, it wasn't like you were lo- losing the game. I mean, it was a tie game, so regardless, you still, you know, we're gonna go into overtime. But you know, and then from that, you go on and next the next year, and you you win it again. And um, I had to hear a lot about these losses or these wins because Drew Vin, who uh, was at USC at the time, he was my graduate assistant at Concordia, so I, I got to hear uh, a lot a lot of this uh, the heartbreak, I guess, the heartbreak side of it. And then you go on to beat USC again um, the following year, going back to back. And so, I guess one thing that I'd I'd like to ask you is. Man, winning one is hard, um, but from personal experience, went going back to back, you know, I was never able to do it with the guys. Um, and, you know, like I said, we lost a game that we shouldn't have lost, and, and we've all been there. But what is that mentality like? What are you telling the guys about, you know, trying to be, trying to be champions again the following year? Yeah, I think it was it was definitely a different team. You know, you lost um, you know, John Mann. We lost Marty Matthews. Um, we lost. Uh, you know that that's a key part of our of our overall team. Um, we lost a, a Serbian kid, Andrea Vasilovic, um, and uh, and so it was a team that I think everybody thought uh, we we lost Brian Kinsel, um, who was a center and honestly, you know, every bit as good, um, uh, as, as John, just different, different kind of player. But, um, so we kind of had, we had these two huge centers that were, that were so, you know, John could play different positions and could play a little bit more. Kinsel was a straight center, um, uh, but extremely talented kid. So, you know, uh, as, as much as, as, as it sounds funny when, when, you know, when, when John would go out or go to a different position, we didn't drop much at all. So um, we were really focused on the inside of the, of the game, you know, when option one was get the ball into those two guys and option two was get the ball into those two guys. And um, it was pretty simple. Um, And uh, because that's, that's what I felt our strengths were Um, that team the next year, I think had a chip on their shoulder because, there were a lot of of people that that didn't think that they were going to be very good because we lost these other guys and um and I think they took that to heart that they they wanted to prove that they could do it on their own um and guys like Mike Scharf and Zach Montes and Terrell and uh, Spencer Warden um, was on that team, and um, and Mark Sherity was was the you know the common denominator in the cage, um, and a lot of people don't you know uh, don't remember that name or uh, you know uh, see it as as that big of a deal. But Mark won two state championships in in uh, in junior college, mm-hmm. um, came to came to Cal, redshirted a year, and won two national championships as a uh, as a D one goalie. So I'm not sure anybody's ever done that. Um, and, uh, and, and he was a big game goalie. And when we got into big games, he was, he was hard to get the ball by. Um, and, um, and so that group just kind of came together, uh, and created their own identity. And, and quite frankly, you know, had a easier, 
less, you know, less bumpy season than the year before. Um, you know, we, we kind of rolled through most of it and, uh, and the final was, was, you know, I think a three goal game, but it, it was, you know, we were in control. It seemed like the whole game. Yeah. Um, and it just, it was a different team. You know, I, I, I joke with Sharf, um, you know, Michael was the, was an extremely talented offensive player. Um, and, uh, and I kind of bottled him up. You know, I, I said the only, the only person that kept him under, you know, 80 goals, 90 goals a season during, in college was me. Um, <laughs> because, because I kept telling him to throw the ball to, to, to John and to throw the ball to Kinsel and to, you know, focus on getting the ball into set. And, and, and then when those guys left, um, you know, we, we had Thomas Pearson and, 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 um, and Trent Calder were our centers and, and they were highly effective, but you know, they weren't, they weren't John and, and, uh, and, and Kinsel. So, you know, our, our focus changed a little bit, and, yeah. you know, and, and, and kind of had to unleash Sharf to, to, um, to, you know, open up his offensive game. He ended up scoring 99 goals um, in the year. Uh, and, and that kind of filled in the blanks for, for that. And, uh, Frank Reynolds transferred that year, um, in from, from, uh, from SC as well. And, uh, you know, was just a, a big, a big piece of that as well. So Frank Reynolds is one of the nicest people I've ever met. I mean, him and him and Paul, but Frank, I mean, that guy is, I mean, just the way he treated me coaching the O club. I mean, that guy's like a leader, you know, and, and I, I would assume. Yeah. He he's, same... he's a, yeah, he's, he's an incredible kid. Um, a young man now and family and all of that. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, Frank's one of my favorites and he's definitely a guy that he, he understands how to, how to treat people. And, and we had an eclectic group of people that all had very, um, it was a it was a alpha dog yeah. um, team for a yeah. couple of years, and they were uh, there were times where it was very it was a major struggle just to get everybody to be going in the same direction. Um, and Frank was uniquely capable of not in the pool. He, he's a he's a locker room guy and a you know outside of the coffee shop guy, and but he he had a unique way of of of. Uh, you know, just keeping people going in the right direction and, and knowing how to talk to different different constituencies within a team. And um, you need those kind of guys that, that can kind of bridge those gaps. Yeah. And, you know, I, I this is not something that I, I wrote down, but, you know, now being at the community college level personally, you seem to be somebody who's taken chances on community college guys pretty often. Is that fair to say? Um, we've had a few, I mean, that we've had, we've had, you know, our, our three national championships, I should recruit more community college goalies because yeah. <laughs> I've never won one without one. Wow, so, that's um, uh, but you know, there are, there are certain kids that I think that are, that, um, have been really successful with us that, that have come out of that route. Um, and, uh, you know, there's different, different paths to the division one level. Um, and, uh, and so you're, you know, you don't want to shut any doors and looking at kids that, that, uh, you know, can add a maturity and, 
to your teams uh, in a lot of ways that uh, those kids do come out with a little bit more perspective on yeah, life. Yeah. They're, they're, um, they're focused and, and ready to, to, to accomplish something yeah. for the most part. Uh, that, that's been my experience with them. So you're, you're looking at that and seeing, you know, seeing where you can find some, some gems out there. That's, you know, sometimes the difference between, you know, different teams yeah. is, is finding the kid that everybody goes, wait a minute, who, who was that? Yeah. Um, you know, so, um, you know, Charity and Lazar were definitely those kind of guys. Yeah. So I'm going to shift gears here. I know you don't have a ton of time, but I got a few, a few more questions here. Um, I, I, I did notice that you were, your daughter was playing. Um, I think I ran into you at JO's, uh, where your daughter was playing 10 and unders or something. So, so obviously now she's like 10, uh, 12 and under, I think. Um, yep. And so you're starting to see water polo all the way back from the other side now. Um, what are some things that you dislike about our sport? What are some things that we could maybe do better? Um, you know, I think, I think as a coaching, from the coaching standpoint and teams, I think we're pretty closed off sometimes. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and we hold it close to the vest and, um, you know, I've always kind of said that I, I, it's not rocket science. The game's not that complicated. Um, and I think we could share more um, of the things that we're thinking and doing. And, you know, at the end of the day, I, I don't think it's going to result in, in, you know, any more wins or losses most likely than, than you would have had either way. And I think it's better for the community. The sport's too small to have everybody sitting there with their cards in their pocket. Yeah. Um, we can definitely reach out and help people. So that, that's one thing that, that I like, uh, that I would like to see, um, more of, um, I think that, you know, I, I touched on it earlier, the specialization, um, of it, um, is, is a challenge to me. I, you know, I, I like to see kids that, that, uh, you know, that are, that are doing different things out there, um, and, uh, and trying different things and, and whether they, you know, come back to water polo, I, I don't think that on the most, at most levels, you can't, you can't convince me that a kid who says he plays year-round water polo is actually a full-time water polo player because there's just not that much pool time um, for these kids to play. Yeah. Um, so if they're not doing that, you know, there might be at a, at certain clubs at the high school levels where the coaches have full control of the pool and they can work out whenever they want. Um, but if you're a normal club that has, that is renting pool space at, you know, high schools or, you know, uh, rec or community pools, um, there's just not enough space, time, water, um, to make it, you know, you're a full-time athlete. So you gotta be doing something else. Yeah. Um, and that concept of pulling kids, um, away from things just to play our sport, um, I think can be detrimental. Um, and, and, and I've, you know, I might be, I might be off my rocker on this, but I do, I do look and I like, I like athletes. I, you know, when I get, when I'm recruiting kids, kids that have played baseball or basketball or done something else, I've had great success with them. Um, and, uh, you know, they don't, they don't feel like they're getting burnt out on things. They can kind of reset and play baseball or, um, do something else. I think that's, that's something that we could, we can look at, but that's, that's, that's in every sport. Yeah. You know, there's a huge grab to try to get kids to just play this. And, and I don't quite get it. 
Um, Unfortunately, uh, it's tied to you it's know, tied to money. You know what I mean? Like that's you know, yeah, no, no, people yeah, are trying to make a that, living, but, and that's the hard part. Yes. Um, and and at some point though, you have to, you know, and that's hard when you're dealing with finances and stuff like that. But you're you're trying to you're trying to look at what's best for the overall kid, you know, and, and you, you mentioned, you know, back national team stuff and, and, you know, my philosophy has always been, you know, if you're, and I've had coaches tell me, you know, you're hurting your, you're hurting your team by letting, you know, this guy go home and that guy go home and this guy go do that. And, and I've always just kind of went, if you're, if you're, if you have the opportunity to represent your country, um, at the national team, junior team, youth team, whatever it is level, then that's your, that's your gig and you should go. And if that means you're not going to be with my team all summer, then that's what that means. And then when you come back, it's my job to figure out how to use you. Um, and hopefully you're a better player and, and we can do that, but there are some, you know, detriments to what we've been doing as a team, but I'm not going to stand in a kid's way of, of doing those things um, just to win an NC2A water polo game. I'm not going to sacrifice that. That's just me. Um, And I think that happens at the club level too. I see, I see kids, um, you know, constantly being told because, you know, maybe this event isn't that, you know, example would be, you know, coach telling a kid that, yeah, I'd rather you play with us in these tournaments over the summer than be part of the junior team or youth team that's going to Pan American games because, you know, you might only get one really good game um, at Pan American games and I'd rather you be at the, you know, futures championship. Yeah. Um, and so now this kid is torn. And, and I've seen kids decide not to do it because I'm going to be with my high school team. Um, and, and I've seen kids decide that themselves because they feel like there's an allegiance to their team and that's what they want to do. I'm going into my senior year. Uh, you know, we'd lost in the final last year, whatever it is. Um, and I think it's the coach's job to tell somebody, Hey, I want you to go. And then it's my responsibility to deal with my team. And this is why he's gone. And this is what's going on. I'd like to see more of that. Um, that sacrifice a little bit for the experience of the kid. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, the Greeks won junior world championships and uh, Odysseus Mosmanidis was on that team. Um, and before the summer, he was telling me that he didn't want to go because of summer school stuff and the team. And, and he wanted to stay in the States and, and be part, you know, and just train with us. Yeah. And, and I basically kicked him out of the door. I'm like, you're going, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you're, 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 you're going and you're going to do this and we'll figure out the school stuff and you can take online classes and, and we'll figure out all these other things that are clouding your mind, but you, you, you might not ever get back and you got to go. Um, and this is your generation's team and you need to go. You're going to regret it. Trust me. And if you ever want to be an Olympian and I don't know that you will, um, but if you don't go to this, I, you're, you're exponentially hurting yourself to, to make an Olympic team down the line. Cause they will remember. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I, I'm, you need to go and, you know, you know, and they win and he comes, he comes back, you know, 10 days late to school and, and, you know, he walks in the door. I'm like, are you, are you glad that you went? And he's like, Oh, oh my God, coach. Thank you. Know, thank you. Um, 
I just like people to kind of take that approach a little bit more. Yeah. I, you know, I think you also have a very unique perspective because, you know, you've been, you've been there when they're playing the national anthem and, and, you know, wearing that suit and wearing that cap and, um, you know, that obviously I, I've never had that experience with team USA, but it has to be just so overwhelming to have that feeling, that thought about representing your country. And so I, I would assume that, you know, although you're trying to mentor these young men, you're trying to make them better people and obviously better water polo players that if they do have aspirations to play on the Olympic team or be on the national team, that you see that as superseding everything else. Um, and you have, but I think the experience, it's a life experience that you're never going to get back. Yeah. Um, and you, you know, not and making the junior team, that might be your, your pinnacle, you know, other than college and, and giving up those opportunities to travel overseas and to, to see different cultures and, and to, you know, see different players. Um, those are things you're not going to get back ever. Yeah. Um, and, and taking that away or making it harder on a kid, making the decision process harder um, is just something that, that has always kind of been baffling to me. Yeah. Um, and I get it. We're all competitive um, and we all want to win certain games, but I think there's a perspective to, you know, I'm willing to lose and I probably have, lost a couple national championships because players were all over the place doing different things with their prospective national teams. Um, because I let them. Yeah. Um, and then getting everybody back together was a little hard and you lose a game here, you lose a game there and maybe you don't make the tournament. Um, but, but then if that kid does make the Olympic team, I can look and go, all right, that was worth it. Yeah. Um, yeah. you see sort of like, a uh, you know, and picture. I, and I can, I, yeah, I can live with it. You know, I can live with it. I don't want to, I don't want to, um, I, I just don't want to be the person that stood in the way of somebody. Um, and I also want to give people, you know, one of my main goals as a coach is to have players, you coach the Olympic club team. Um, that makes me smile that team. Um, because most of them are my kids, yeah. uh, yeah. my players. And, and the fact that they still love to play the game um, and they'll go out of their way, their business world, their, their, you know, their family lives, they'll, they'll do stuff because they just love to play. It's part of their core. Um, they're not, I don't like to play anymore. I'm done. I'm out. Yeah. Uh, and that, that breaks my heart when guys, you know, do that and they don't like it after, um, you know, after college, cause, cause of whatever reason, um, but the the pride I get in watching guys like, you know, Sharf and 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 Mulcahy and Agramani and you know and Thomas Carroll and Lazar and uh, you know guys that are you know six seven years out of college that still are you know are working world guys that are working all week and they're the one of the best parts of their day or their week is you know what i'm gonna get to go down to southern california and play polo with my boys yeah no um, i mean they were running in hey, awesome. i just got off the plane i just got off the plane i'm sorry i'm late like that kind of thing yeah. it's just like yeah you know i mean yeah. I, I mean i'm 42 now so i'm i'm removed i still get in when i can but i remember you know some of the best times were post-college playing in masters games and you know what they called premier league 
in in the 2000s and things like that um you know that's when the game seems a little bit more simple you know it's like it makes more sense just because you've done it it's it's like a the sport of repetition you know the more you do it <clears throat> the the better you get at it just because the situations don't change very much like you said earlier i mean it's not rocket science you see the same situations over and over again um and it's really fun to play at that level so um i want to ask uh who have been your biggest influences in your in your career who have been your biggest mentors yeah you know that's a that's a pretty long list but i you know i think you you start with your parents and 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 uh you know the the people that kind of helped you get into different things you know um if my mom doesn't force me to swim i don't know where i am today um uh and you know and my my dad was was a a college athlete played golf at, at notre dame and um and uh was just kind of a quiet steady um you know person was that i could always rely on was that you know at every game and everywhere i went never said much, but just kind of sat and watched and supported and, um, um, you know, and then you go to players, you know, guys like Craig Wilson from the national team and Craig class when I was coming up and, uh, at Cal guys, you know, Bill Shaning was one of the older guys when I was, um, first got there and guys that kind of took you under their wing and, and helped you kind of, you know, uh, get through the college experience. Um, um, you know, and coaches, I had a, you know, I had a lot of coaches that started off with, you know, Bill Brown at Miramani, um, Ron Richardson, who was the coach at Akalani's, um, and coached Concord water polo. So he was kind of the main first water polo coach, um, you know, club wise that first summer that I played, uh, you know, Corso Rich and, and Ricardo Azevedo were junior team coaches. Uh, we went to Junior Worlds in 1985 and and backed it up again in 1987 when they changed the age group from 17 to 19 and under. Mm-hmm. So we got to go twice um, as a group, and um, uh, you know they they you know as I look back at you start looking at pictures and and you're going you know these guys were these guys were kids when they were coaching us. We thought they were yeah. <laughs> we thought they were really old, and and I guarantee you they couldn't have been more than you know. You, you thought they were old then and then you look at them you, you see them now and you're like you're not that old yeah, me. yeah. um you know it, the time has a perspective but you know they taught us so much about the international game and, and um you know and 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 worked so hard to get us all over the world to play uh, you know play different different places and and the experiences that that we had with them um were fantastic and um you know rich's Rich's coaching tree is long and, uh, um, uh, and deep. Um, and you know, so he, he, uh, you know, he, he instilled a love of the sport definitely in me. Um, so I think that's, uh, you know, that's somebody that, that I look back on and, and, and why I became a coach is that there's a big piece of, of Corso and, and Azevedo in there as well, obviously in college, Pete and Steve, um, uh, were incredible coaches and incredible people and, and, uh, you know, constantly challenging you and not letting you settle, um, and, uh, and, and being hard on you when you needed it, um, was definitely never a problem for them. And, uh, you know, just taught, taught me so much Pete, you know, other than my dad was about as close to a father, uh, as, as, 
as I could get. And, uh, you know, he came back and coached with me my first year at Cal, which was, uh, as he said, his, the low point of his coaching career. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but that was fun yeah, to be able that's... to hang out with him, uh, that year. And, uh, uh, you know, Bill Barnett, uh, uh as Olympic team coach, um, you know, and Rich obviously was our Olympic team coach in 96 as well. So it went full circle from junior to senior team, but, you know, Bill was, a was, was complicated as a young player. Um, and, uh, and I, I don't think I really understood, um, how valuable some of the things and uh, that he taught, uh, were to me until I started coaching. So that was kind of eye opening when I, you know, really sat back and started to think about some of the things that he did that maybe as a player, I just couldn't figure out. Yeah. Um, uh, but as a coach, I kind of went back and really, you know, respected the, the things that, that he did and um, that, that uh, you know, made us all uh, much better players that I didn't quite understand when I was 20, you know, four years old, 23 yeah. years old. Yeah. Um, um, you know, perspective is, is eye-opening for sure, and, and time, time kind of gives you that. So, you know, those are some great people. Um you know, I, I swam in college too. Like I said, I finally did figure it out. So North Thornton at Cal was, was the swim coach there and, and the ability to, to, you know, allow, uh, athletes to kind of bounce back and forth and not, you know, not get in their way and understand what was most important to them. And, um, uh, was something that North, you know, that, that's part of why I kind of look at, at kids and, and going back and forth from sports. I think the relationship that Pete had with Nort um, and our ability to, if we had the ability to do both sports in college, allowing us to do it um, and not getting in each other's way um, uh, was, was something that, that definitely kind of forged my mentality on the subject. Yeah. No, that's, and it's interesting that they allow, you know, it was like so united, it seemed back then, swimming and water polo. I mean, I read that Pete Cotino was actually the swim coach at Cal and the water polo coach for a while. Um, yeah, and... Nord coached water polo as well. So. That, uh, that's that's, that's um, yeah, I mean, we had, we had, you know, the, the, uh, you know, 19, I went to NC2As and swimming in 1986 um, was the one NC2As that I made. Um, and you know, our four by 100 free relay team that one had, you know, four, three guys that, that played water polo. One of them was Biondi. I mean, Um, and I mean, just to be uh, teammates with Matt Biondi, I mean, one of the greatest swimmers, I, you know, it's so, I bet a lot of people, he's a hell of a water polo player. Yeah, (laughs) no, I bet, I bet a lot of people, you know, who are younger, the people who are in high school don't really know who Matt Biondi is, but all those club swim coaches that say, you know, you can't do both, you can't do both. And here is Matt Biondi, who was the great, I mean, one of the greatest Olympic swimmers ever. And I heard through the grapevine that he was an amazing water polo player as well. Um, I spoke with Dante. Four time. I'm sorry? No, go ahead. Oh, no, I go said, ahead. Four time All-American, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. I mean, I spoke with Dante Dedamonte, and he told me that he had Pablo Morales coming off the bench. As one of the greatest uh, Olympic butterflyers in the history of USA swimming, um, from Stanford, and then, and this is, I, I just want to ask you two questions, and this is sort of, I don't know why I'm asking you this, but I, I just have to. I met Alan Gresham back a while ago. 
he used to come in and, and scrimmage with us. And there's a guy named Steve Simmons who has quadruplets and his daughters are playing, you know, like UCLA and uh, UC Santa Barbara. Now they, they went to Orange Lutheran. Um, and Steve would always say Alan Gresham was is like a legend. Like, um, and I know you've gotten to, you've gotten to know him. He was there before you got there. But it, it, what was he as incredible as people describe? Yeah, I think he's probably the best single athlete I've and that played our sport that I've seen. Wow. He he was incredibly like I mean the the explosiveness and the speed and the quickness of a hooper but 6-5 and you know uh, just in, incredibly gifted. Yeah. Could could you know dunk a basketball flat footed? Um, he's built like a like a wide receiver or a, or a or a tight end. You know he was just he was just a big, strong, athletic guy. Yeah, and and you you know throw the ball up and he'd go get it. Yeah, that's, um, that's what I heard. And uh, yeah. and so fast. So he I'll, I'll, he swam as well. I'll tell you probably the you know the a- athletic wise story. He um, he didn't want to. This was I guess the year before I got to to Cal, and because uh, Biondi was there as well, and and he was swimming. He's a fifty, you know, fifty hundred guy, but mostly fifty, just explosion and 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 over. And um, he didn't want to he didn't want to go to workouts. He just wanted to play water polo. Um, so he went to North. Um, before a dual meet um, and said, all right, um, I'd like to just play polo, but I'd like to swim in the meet. Um, So if I go under 20, now this is again in, you know, in in the mid eighties. So going 19 was, was, uh, was, did not, it didn't happen very much. Um, If I go under 20 in this meet, can I just play polo and come to the meet? And Nord, <laughs> that's crazy. As Lore says, goes sure, because nobody goes nineteen in dual meet. Um, and so beyond, uh, Alan steps up and goes nineteen nine nine and and walks off, and that was it. And then he went nineteen like nine eight at Pac twelves, um, and you know, and got got like sixth in NC two A's or seventh in NC two A's, but you know, never really made the huge drop because he wasn't yeah. doing it. But he was, yeah. you know, fast enough to win the pack. I think he won Pac twelves in in the fifty, um, and then got you know fifth or sixth beyond. He won the, at at uh, an NC two A's, but um, he was he was an athlete. That's um, crazy, and uh, um, and. Uh, He's a character, but great, great supporter of, of, of our program. And, um, you know, somebody that always reaches out to me and, and talks. And every time we're at Long Beach state, he shows up. I mean, he had a, he had a heart attack, um, uh, last fall about eight days before. And then he shows up on the pool deck at Long Beach state, Holy um, you know, where, wearing his gear coming out to watch us play. So that'll, uh, that'll show you where his priorities yeah. are and, 
um, he's got a lot of heart and I was fired up to see him get into the Cal Hall of Fame uh, a year ago or a couple of years ago. And, um, you know, well-deserved as, as one of the great, great athletes in program history. For yeah. sure. So last question, I'm sorry, I've taken up so much of your time here. Um, no worries. what advice would you give yourself or would you have given yourself, um, when you started off coaching, if you can go back in time? Uh, what, what could you tell the young coaches out there? Yeah, I think it's, it's going to be the same thing that Pete, you know, told me when, when, when I started coaching in college is, is, you know, you, you have to be yourself. So, you know, I think, I think you'll see certain coaches, young coaches that, that have a perception of how coaching is supposed to look, um, and uh, based on watching other successful coaches and, and you just can't really replicate what other people do. Um, you can steal here. I don't think there's, there's much original thought in coaching. Um, I think we all kind of steal from other people. Um, and then you give it your own personality and it becomes yours. Um, but uh you need to, you need to be unique and you need to be yourself. Um, cause the athletes figure that out real quick. If you're trying to do something that's not you. Um, and you, then you have to find how that personality, your personal culture fits into your coaching style, you know, and, and, um, and what you're going to, you know, what you're going to do. Um, you know, as far as athletes go for me, I was never, I never really responded to, you know, somebody completely berating me on the deck and, you know, Pete was very hard on us, but it was kind of in a funny way. Um, and, uh, and so I've just never, you know, I, I had coaches that were like that in different sports and it never really resonated with me and it just wasn't, it wasn't me. I can't do it. I can't, you know, I'll say it all the time. I go, you know, uh, uh, coach Terrell is better at getting mad than I am. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I tell the guy, so that, that, this, that's his, that sometimes that's his role because he's just better at it than me. I don't, you know, when I get mad, I'm a little bit like my dad. When I get mad, it takes a lot to get me there. But when I get there, then heads up, but it's going to take a while. Yeah. I, I don't think I saw my dad really mad that often, but when he did, one, you probably deserved it. And two heads up. <laughs> You're um, scared. Basically. Yeah. Right. So, and, and so you, you know, you let people do their job. Um, I think that's, an, that leads into that is, you know, when you, not every coach has assistant coaches, but even at the club level, there are, you know, there are people that are helping. There are, um, you know, there, there are assistant coaches, there are volunteers, um, you know, let people get good people or teach them certain things and then let them, do their job i think as a young coach i had a i had trouble delegating things yeah um and as i got older and better at it um you realize you can't do everything and and you certainly can't do everything well um and so you have to you have to allow coaches to you know you have to give them the parameters of what you would like to do and you hope that based on what they, you know, they know how, what you want to accomplish. And then you got to let them find a way to accomplish that in their own way. 
um, that can be really hard to let go of certain things um, and let coaches do it. And then, you know, reassess and, and have, you know, after action reviews and see in your brain and, and what do I don't like? I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't want this. Um, and then let them go back out and try to do it again, um, as opposed to just trying to take over everything. Um, and I think you can get yourself locked into just doing so many things averagely. Yeah. then, okay, I'm going to take this and you're going to take that and I'm going to be comfortable with it and we're going to end up in the same spot. Um, uh, and then allowing good people to do their job um, and not trying to take over all the time. Yeah. That can be, again, hard um, from a head coaching standpoint. But but being a head coach isn't, doesn't always mean that you're, in, you're doing every single thing, coaching every single aspect um, all the time. You know what's going on, but you, I, you know, I let you know, Jeff Terrell is really good at what he does. Yeah. Um, and, and so you got to let him do it. Boyd was really good at what he did. Uh, Russ was great at what he did. Um, and, and, uh, you know, the assistant coaches that I've had along the way at the college level, um, and, and you let them, let them do it. Uh, and then, you know, I'd say that, the biggest thing, you know, I'd started helping with, with six eighties club team about a year and a half ago. Um, and, uh, you know, the one thing that I, that I see is, is, is from coaches too, is that, is that goalie position and, um, and understanding how to coach that. And I, and I see a lot of coaches that kind of shy away from it because I'm not a goalie or I didn't, you know, um, I don't know what I'm doing. And, um, and I think it's really important that, that that coaches take on that challenge mm -hmm. um and learn about it and again it's it's not it's not rocket science it's but there's i you know, i see so many practices where goalies are just kind of off on their own um just waiting for shooting drills to start um and uh and i think you can you can challenge yourself to to become to, to learn that position um whether it's learning it from a you know, a shooter's eye, which is kind of where I come from, or learning it from a goalie's eye, which watching Lazar coach goalies last, you know, uh, for for years, um, you know, you start to learn things. Um, and uh, and being involved in, in that world, I think sometimes we, we neglect it a little bit from a specialization standpoint. Um, and uh, and that can, you know, really hurt your team yeah, at the no. end of the day. And, and you know, I, I will say this um... – You've always been very generous with your time. I mean, every time I run into you, you always are really uh, generous and talk to me, ask me how I'm doing, ask how the team is, and I've always really appreciated that. And I, I've been sort of following your, you know, you on social media and 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 sort of seeing how you're evolving your coaching style a little bit. Your with your coach, like what you're saying with your coaching. Um, and seeing that you're putting drills out there. So I would encourage uh, anybody who's active on Twitter to follow you on Twitter. And it's Cal Coach Everest uh, on Twitter. And I hope you don't mind me giving that shout out. But it seems like there's some really valuable information on there that, um, you know, that, that could be beneficial to a lot of coaches. Yeah, it's been fun. You know, I started doing it and got some good feedback. A, a lot of the, you know, when I was down at ODP uh, a couple weeks ago before all this craziness started, um, you know, got a, a number of coaches from across the country that, you know, said that they they were watching things and had implemented certain drills. And, um, you know, like I said, I think uh, I think we can be 
closed off at times and 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 I'm not 100% sure why I know why but um uh you know I'm kind of decided to you know let's 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 start to share some things and get some content out there there's so many people that that from a coach's education standpoint um don't have you know the ability to come and and watch a practice or don't have the ability to to watch some of the games and so if we can put some stuff out there and and uh you know people can see it um and and utilize it and take it and and make it their own i think um i think that's great and um the more people we have in this small sport that are out there doing stuff like that um you know the more opportunity we have to grow coaches and players and um you know create a better community of 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 the water polo family yeah well, Coach, I, I look forward to running into you a little bit more now that I've made the move up north, up into your hood. Um, I just, again, I can't thank you enough for you taking this time and and uh, and talking about the history of, of your career and, and spreading your knowledge. So thank you again for being on the program. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Like I said, we've been trying to get this going for a while, so I'm, I'm glad uh uh took advantage of the kind of reset in, in our world now and and that was one of the positive things that came out of it is we finally got to you know slow down a little bit and get it done so for sure. i appreciate it thank you Thanks. for everything you do i think these are great for the sport and uh and the community so thank you thank you